Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Michael Reddington's interrogation career fosters a fascination on how we are able to establish relationships and obtain the truth in seemingly impossible situations. Michael's experience made it clear that at best, confrontation creates compliance and compliance creates resentment. Michael also saw firsthand how people committed to sharing their secrets improve relationships when their interviewers carefully listened for new opportunities to bond and treated them with respect and empathy. When Michael applied these communication techniques to his business relationships, the results were astounding and the disciplined listening method was born. Michael researched and developed the disciplined listening method to teach executives, sales professionals, HR professionals, and others how to increase commitments to action and reduce missed opportunities by significantly improving their situational awareness, observational skills, and their ability to apply strategic, ethical persuasion techniques. All of these are topics that apply deeply to being brave at work, and I'm really excited to be speaking with Michael today. Hi, Michael. Good morning, Ed. How are you? I am doing great. How's everything in your world? It's going very well, thank you. Hopefully everybody's safe and healthy in yours. They are. Thank you. Everybody is doing just great. So I took kind of a light swing at introducing you, and I think folks would love to hear from you specifically, you know, what you're currently doing and how you are interacting in the marketplace. I think that was a pretty good swing. I appreciate the introduction. <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, currently, like many people, it's pivoting and adapting in the marketplace. So for me, really what I do is I teach people communication, how to activate the truth and apply the strategic, ethical observation and persuasion techniques that you mentioned. So a lot of it has, well, I should say it this way. Some of it has been pivoting and adapting to, sp- to spending more time focus on how do we lead and influence through stressful times and times of increased uncertainty. And then also pivoting the business development and negotiation programs, the leadership communication programs, and even the candidate interviewing programs really to account for what people are experiencing right now. And that can be specific to organizations, industries, and even individuals. So being able to tie that in has, has been a, a real really important shift for us over the last 14 months or so. Well, you used a phrase that I think applies deeply to being brave at work, which is how to activate the truth. I think a lot of people 
uh, experience something in the workplace and experience a relationship with another person that they're not always truthful about because they don't know how to say to somebody, hey, can I give you some feedback on something that I'm experiencing that if I were you, I would want to know. And I'm just wondering what your experiences have been with people who are finding it hard to be honest with other people that requires bravery to do it. Uh, that's a, a great insight and two points of consideration on that. When we think about dishonesty, oftentimes we have moral and ethical attachments to that. And it tends to, the word or the concept tends to get people emotional. And the emotional response we have to the concept of dishonesty or the perception of receiving dishonesty can really be counterproductive to the relationships we're looking to establish. So first, it's important to understand that the number one reason why most adults will lie most of the time, putting aside the clinical diagnoses and things like this. And we want to hear the number one reason. Yeah, most adults most of the time will lie to avoid a consequence. And that consequence could either be real or perceived. And the number one fear that will stop most people from doing most things is not failure. It's embarrassment. So when we think about, especially now as the world is changing so rapidly around us and there, we may feel isolated when in fact we're sharing experiences with millions of people all around the world, perhaps in a way never before, at least in recent history, um, when we may feel isolated or we may feel like we'll be misunderstood or embarrassed or we don't know exactly what to say or where it may lead, these this fear of consequences coupled with the fear of embarrassment can absolutely motivate us to stop short of sharing what we really think, what we really feel, what the potential benefit or impact of sharing this could be. And if we do decide to communicate the message, all of the emotions we're feeling and all of the emotions we're afraid that the person we're talking to may be feeling will impact the message. So we don't say things exactly the way we want to. So how we think about it in our head and how they perceive it are two different things. And you know from here, the, the quagmire deepens. Well, the quagmire not only deepens, but it's, it's very deep, right? Because I do believe that across organizations around the globe, people are not as brave as they need to be in order to share with others, even if it's to help them. And that's kind of part of the irony is, you know, oftentimes it's not just how you're making me feel, but I think there's a way you could behave or speak or interact with others that would help you. And yet, you know, I love the frame that you use that people actually may be living in a world of dishonesty where they're not saying how somebody is influencing or impacting others. But we don't think of it as dishonesty, right? We're not going home every day saying, oh, I'm such a liar and I'm, li li I'm li living a lie. They say, oh, that person drives me crazy, but whatever, I'm moving on. But it really is, I think, a form of dishonesty. I mean, do you think people think of it that way or do you think they rationalize it away and diminish it? I think you touched on a key word there, rationalize. It's a well-established fact that our brains loathe discomfort. And whether it is rationalizing buying a large screen TV right before the Super Bowl we couldn't afford, or in my personal situation, once upon a time, buying a pair of cowboy boots I couldn't afford, whether it's rationalizing through buyer's remorse or rationalizing through uncomfortable relationships at home or at work, if we can explain away the discomfort we're feeling, then we get back to a place that's comfortable. And it almost can become, for lack of a better phrase, the devil that you know type situation. I have grown either numb or accustomed to the level of discomfort that I'm comfortably that I'm currently feeling. So I would rather just stick with that, that as opposed to take the risk that may very well alleviate this discomfort, 
but could at least in the short term cause it to spike a little bit. And I'm not sure I want to deal with that spike, so I'll just kind of suck it up and soldier on. Well, you've described that the number one reason people aren't brave at work is because they are, have a fear of the consequence of being brave. And one of the ways that we deal with that, and I'd love to talk about this just for a few moments, is we rationalize, right? We take the context of the situation and kind of reinvent it in ways that help us. And so because our mind does not like conflict, and that's why we tend to be conflict avoidant, uh, we like things always to work and uh, unfold beautifully, and yet sometimes they just won't because of differences of perspective or differences of opinion, or our expectations may be different. We rationalize and create this kind of new context. Uh, you know, what have you seen in respect to that topic of you know rationalizing context that helps us? Uh, you're 100 percent correct. So when it comes to helping us. I guess there's two ways to look at it. One is how do we work through our self-rationalization? The second is how do we communicate with people in a way to take advantage of their rationalizations in order to create the bonds, relationships, results that we are looking to create? So when we look at it internally, how do we work through our own rationalizations? One of the things we work hard to try to do is reframe our perspective. So with disciplined listening, one of the things we say is how do we understand how any interaction can get us closer to achieving our long-term and short-term goals. So if I have to have a conversation with somebody and that conversation could be uncomfortable, I've got two choices. I can prepare by focusing on how uncomfortable this conversation may be, which is basically penning a self-fulfilling prophecy, or I can focus on where this conversation has the ability to lead me. And now by shifting my mind's eye to where this conversation has the ability to lead me, I can reframe my perspective, I can reframe my approach, and now I can structure a conversation track that's more likely to get me there. So that, that would be my first line of thought on the internal side. On the external side, when it comes to dealing with people who are rationalizing their situation and trying to motivate them through that or get to the truth in any given situation – it sounds counterproductive, but it is in our best interest to capitalize on those rationalizations. One of the concepts I truly believe about being brave at work is really exercising this new level of empathy to go the extra mile to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. And one way that we can do that is capitalize on the excuses that they give us. Oftentimes, when somebody gives us an excuse, which is generally part of their rationalization, it's the piece that they're verbalizing, it can be very easy for us as the receivers of that excuse to shoot it down, to not accept it, because we're in accountability mode or responsibility mode, and we can't take accountability until we own our actions. Time out. It is, when we think about obtaining the truth or getting somebody to share sensitive information, I'm going to use you know, loosely scientific statistics here, it's roughly a million times easier to get somebody to tell you the truth than it is to get them to take responsibility for it, to admit it's their fault at the beginning of the conversation. And it's roughly 2 million times easier than it, to get the truth from somebody than it is to call them a liar. If you want somebody to admit to lying and take full responsibility while telling you the truth, that might make for a wonderful Hollywood theater, but good luck with that in real life. So when somebody gives us an excuse, they could be preparing themselves to have to defend it. So what we do is we just accept it and we work backwards from the excuse to get the truth. And we really take advantage of that rationalization that helps them save face and protect their self image, which is the linchpin to the entire process. 
Well, a lot to unpack there. A couple of things that you mentioned that I want to go back on. You know, one is that oftentimes when we feel as though we need to speak with somebody about something they're doing or a way that they're behaving that I think they should know about and maybe having a negative impact, I kind of start with all of the bad reasons of doing it, right? I'm, oh, I can't say it because they're going to get upset and this is going to be the end of my career and I'm going to get fired. And, you know, we go in and and we don't go in, right? We create so many negative outcomes that the weight of it is so big. The rationalization we create is, well, it's easier to say nothing than take on all of that weight. So that's the experience that I've had as a leader, right? So not only do I talk with people about being brave at work, uh, I've been at work before and there are moments where I could have been braver and had said something to somebody that I think would have helped them, but didn't. And part of the reason is I started in that negative zone, right? And so it sounds as though one of the things that you would tell our listeners is to try to start more in a positive zone. How is this going to help this person? What are the benefits of talking uh, to this person about this particular topic? Is that correct? 100%. 100%. Yeah. And then the other one is, and this may be a little bit different in the work that you're doing, you know, oftentimes when we're looking to be braver at work, you know, we're not necessarily, uh, you know, looking for the truth, right? So it's not, you know, even though that person may have a blind spot that uh, causes them to behave in a way that they don't realize, it's more about sharing the truth, right? That, hey, there's a way that you're impacting people that you may not realize, and I want you to know. So it's not really uncovering a truth necessarily, and this is a little bit of a gray area, but, you know, it's more about sharing your truth and how you're currently experiencing this person and hoping that the way that you present it will affect them in a positive way such that they think about it and make some visible changes to their behavior. Definitely. And the the part that you mentioned there at the end about how we present that truth really becomes what's most important because what is reality, right? (laughs) We can both look at the same thing, have our own perceptions and and think that they're both 100% real. So when we think about delivering that message, it's important to remember that people react the strongest to what they hear first. Literally, the very first words, very first phrases. So if I'm going to share a sentence with you, you're going to react to the first three or four words. And depending on that reaction, you might not even hear the last three or four words. Or if you do, you could assume different intentions than I'm delivering them with. So it's important that when we deliver these messages that we're very intentional about the structure, the order that we deliver it in. And it's also important that, and I, I mentioned it, I just touched on it previously, that we do that in a way that helps people save face and protect their self-image. If you want somebody to share their truth or accept your truth, the biggest key to that is going to be encouraging them, communicating with them in a way that allows them to line that truth up with their self-image so they can overcome that brain discomfort, that the cognitive dissonance, if you will, that we were talking about earlier in order to truly commit to what we're talking about as opposed to just temporarily complying with it. Well, something else that you mentioned, Michael, with which resonates for me, and I think it resonates with our listeners, is that you know, anytime that you need to have a conversation with somebody to share with them how you're experiencing them and that you're worried about it, uh, you always have to be respectful. You always have to be a great listener and demonstrate curiosity. But this is not about trying to prove them wrong. Right. If you're going into the conversation hoping they're going to say, oh, my gosh, you're right. I've been a terrible boss. You know, the likelihood of of that happening is diminished. So, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, this model? Right. As opposed, you know, that 
says, hey, don't go in expecting to get the person to admit they're wrong, because it is very hard for people to say, you know, I think I could have handled that in a different way. Here's how I'll do it going forward. It doesn't sound that hard to say, but it's hard for people to do. You know, I'm wondering what some of your thoughts and experiences have been in that arena. It is hard. And if people, two people have a great relationship or a longstanding relationship, then they might be able to get away with some things that the rest of us can't with people that we don't have great relationships because that relationship will carry the day. But in lieu of that relationship, what you're saying is correct. So one of the things that we focus on is think about the long game as opposed to the immediate reward. So if I truly want to change somebody's behavior, like you said, the statistical likelihood of me doing that in one conversation in a professional workplace, I'm not saying it can't happen because it does, but the likelihood of generating that depth of understanding and commitment in one conversation probably isn't going to happen. So now what we want to do is we want to start strategically thinking through a series of conversations, a series of events. So now it becomes a little bit more like a drip campaign where we're making a series of smaller wins to lead us to the greater win over time. And often that requires a more patient communication approach, which people don't always love. Uh, it requires us to let the conversation or the situation come to us. Generally, if we chase somebody down, if we chase a topic down, if we chase an information or admission or acknowledgement down, it ends up creating that reverse magnet effect. We're just pushing them further away from us. It, it becomes counterproductive. So the more strategic we can be, the more we can have this long game or long-term approach and let the situation come to us over a series of conversations. Now, the more successful we will be. Well, I love the model of what I call baby steps, which is not believing that the opportunity to share feedback with somebody is one conversation, right? That I've got to get everything in and, you know, this is it. And if I don't leave in a half hour or 20 minutes, you know, sometimes it's 15 minutes, uh, you know, I failed in this effort and recognize that it might be a multi-step process, right? That the first time is just to break the ice and even see if the person would be open to hearing feedback. And if they are open, say, gee, next time we meet, I'd love to share with you something that I've observed that I think you'd want to hear. And then you share that particular piece of feedback and have that conversation. And again, you hope that they would stay open to it. And then the next conversation might be some solutions, right? Things that you could do a little bit differently going forward in order to make great progress. So, you know, I'm interested, Michael, in the discipline listening method. You've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm curious if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what that method is and kind of how it works. So with discipline listening, what we did was we took the core philosophy skills and techniques from the best non-confrontational interview and interrogation techniques on both sides of the Atlantic. We started with those and then integrated research and best practices from across the spectrum of business communication. So with discipline listening, there's really two halves to that coin. And we've really touched on both today. One is that strategic observation. How do we enhance our awareness of everything that's going on around us, our ability to observe it? So that's, you know, listening, looking, the, the, the whole package. And more importantly, apply what we're seeing, seeing and hearing to the context of the situation to our greater strategy. So that would be the, the information take in component of discipline listening. The other half is the persuasive communication half because listening is cyclical. What you say to me and how I interpret it is going to influence what I say to you, which will then influence how you communicate back to me, which is not what I'm ava available to observe. So we've got to address both ends of this cycle. So with discipline listening, not only do we focus on how to enhance 
our ability to observe and then what do we do with it? We also enhance our strategic and persuasive communication techniques. So that way we can inspire others to want to share more information with us. So that way we can move these relationships and these results forward. Wow. So, uh, you know, it sounds like it's a two prong model, right? The first one is about listening and curiosity and recognizing kind of that listening cycle. I love the fact that you use the word apply because oftentimes, you know, when I'm engaged in a conversation where I'm being braver with somebody and I will tell you, it's easier for me to be braver as a coach because I don't have that type of relationship with somebody where I have an agenda or biases or influences that are affecting me. And I could say, hey, can I be honest with you for a moment about how I'm currently experiencing you? You know, I love when people in the conversation do exactly what it is that I'm giving them feedback on, right? Because, you know, in that moment, you can say, hey, pause for a second. I think you just did exactly what it is that I'm giving you feedback on, right? And they can say, oh, my God, I just did, right? So, you know, there's something about timing as well. You know, if I'm giving you feedback on something that you did a year ago, it's going to be harder for you to make a connection than something that you just did, you know, recently. And so then the second part sounds about, you know, applying and be more strategic in respect to making great progress. Yes. Yeah. And it, it really, when we look at the, the seven core behaviors of disciplined listeners, the first one starts with understanding how every conversation can get us closer to achieving those, our long-term and short-term goals, which ties into exactly what you just said. If we have that goal-oriented mindset going in, now we have a much better opportunity to listen for intelligence as opposed to information to understand how we may be able to apply that and then choose to communicate with people in a way that do get us closer to those goals as opposed to trying to win in the moments, as you previously stated, because anytime we create a win-lose situation, we can pretty much guarantee we're losing, whether it's now or whether it's later. If we create a win-lose situation, we're probably going to take the L at some point. Right, right. Well, listen, I think you and I could probably talk for hours, and unfortunately, we don't have that luxury. So how can folks get in touch with you, Michael, if they'd like to hear more about the discipline learning method, about your business? about your uh, you know, perspectives on bravery and communication in the workplace. Now, I appreciate you asking. For anybody who's interested in learning more, not only about our content, but also about the seminars we teach and presentations we provide, they can find us at inquasive.com. That's I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn at Michael Reddington CFI. Those will probably be the two best places and all my further email, phone number, contact information is, is on both. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you again for spending some time with us and sharing your thoughts and observations on being brave at work. I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Take care. Fantastic. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, electronically, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.